you in the service industry? Bartender, server, stripper, cook? Welcome home. Welcome home. This is In The Biz. We keep the world moving. And nobody knows us like us. Like us. This show is about sharing our experiences and teaching people about the ins and outs of the service industry, helping people navigate it to make some extra cash. Along the way, we'll interview the best in the biz. Welcome to In the Biz. Now, here's your host, Tani Mujiqua. Always, we like to meet really cool people that have had some experience in our industry and can actually learn from a little bit. And today is no different. Today, I have a special, 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 special guest on here, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Today, we have Richard Blank, ladies and gentlemen. Richard, how are you doing today? Hey, Danny, nice to be here for in the In the Biz podcast. Absolutely. Good to be with you and your audience. Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you over here. Uh, for the people that don't know who you are, would you like to uh, introduce yourself? Well, I'm originally from Northeast Philadelphia, and that's where I'll share some of my business stories. But I currently live in Costa Rica, and I'm the owner of Costa Rica's call center. So for the past 21 years, I've been living in a Central American paradise. Absolutely. Costa Rica. How did you end up there? That's a story with a lot of twists and turns. My major in college was communication in Spanish. Okay. Post grad, I had the opportunity of moving here and working with a friend of mine who had a call center. He wanted me to teach some English. Absolutely. And after multiple years, I saw how I could enhance the experience for the agents and for the clients and decided to throw my hat in the ring and start my own center. Ah, oh, dude, that is awesome. Well, let me ask you this, yeah. like, wh- where where did the original idea come from? I mean, did you just wake up one day and like, you know what, a call center sounds like a great idea in Costa Rica. No one ever is born to run a call center. There's schools for that. Uh, I did know this. In, in Northeast Philadelphia at Abington High School, my best class was in Spanish. Okay. And like all my other friends that were going to Ivy League to study medicine and law, I decided to double down on languages. So just like yourself and professional public speaker, I learned those skills and made me highly marketable. And once that barn door was open and I had the opportunity to move abroad, I took it. But I tell you what, Taney, if you can get past your parents' guilt, you can pretty <laughs> much live anywhere in the world. So that's my advice to you and your audience today. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. And as far as like yeah. public speaking, because I know naturally I am terrified of public speaking. I mean, I can talk okay. on a camera, obviously. But to have more than three people around me and have to like, you know, project an idea, like how did you build that? Because you said that's one of the skill sets that you decided to um, develop. How do, you, how do you go about doing that? Well, that's a fantastic question. Most people fear it more than death. So I decided <laughs> if I could do that, I'd probably get a job. But no, it, it, there's certain people in this world that can speak for others. In Spanish, they call them portavoz or locators. And you can make a living being an intermedio between people and being able to represent them properly like a lawyer could. So in my mind, I figured that by being here and working with English second language agents or a place where English is their second language, it was my responsibility to not only enrich myself with Spanish, but then teach the proper English with not only grammar, but certain sort of vocabulary, just so they can have more Uh, meaningful conversations and avoid any sort of conflict management and conflict management. You know, that can happen at bars and restaurants. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) I've had my fair share of experience. Uh, Speaking of which, have you actually worked um, in the restaurant industry or like um, 
anything related to it. Had the best two summers of my life. When I was in college, the summer of 94 and 95, I worked on Delaware Avenue in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. I started Absolutely. off at Rock Lobster, and that was a great place. But I was such a good waiter that Frankie, who was one of the co-owners of the Aztec Club in Kokomo Bay, yeah. he said, hey, Richie, you want to come work for us? I definitely wanted to. So I met Dino, the head of the place, who, you know, I just met him one time. They gave me a shirt. They gave me a, a schedule. And I was working Kokomo Bay in the Aztec Club during the prime days of Philadelphia, Delaware Avenue. And no. I loved it because they had all you could drink beer night on Thursday night. So you pay a hefty cover to get in. And so you'd have groups of yourself and 10 of your friends sitting at a table. Yeah. Most of the women were walking around with their little cocktail trays and maybe six beers on it with a tip jar. I was working out at the time. <laughs> I was kicking server trays. I was bringing you and your friends at least 30 beers, at least one round, getting huge tips, finding five or six tables to work with and making I think I made $500 in a night Jeez. in tips back in 94. Did it ever get crazy over there to have like unlimited beer night? Did you ever have anything wild happen over there? Cause you know, I think after you just a while. Had a lot of people have, you, you figure that people might drink themselves to death. No, I mean, after two or three rounds, most people were cool. There was always a group in the corner that would just do what they could. But I made sure that they got not just their money's worth, because you know I was upselling them with wings and burgers. So sure, we were bringing them in with the beer and, and it's draft beers. I mean, you're just pouring it away. Yeah, but no, yeah. I was maybe either breaking even or making some money for the for the bar in regards to the food. But then these people would be coming back on, on uh, that was Thursday night. So Friday and Saturday night, they would come back for other nights. So don't kid yourself. I was definitely getting long-term clients there. But here's the best part. Aztec Club used to be a discotheque and these were all the people from you know south philly and i was from northeast philly so i'm meeting tons of new people all the time they didn't serve food there so i used to open up another uh, check and then bring up the chicken wings upstairs <laughs> walk around you know they're going to smell it and wait for it absolutely the wings cost six bucks i charged them ten bucks and got a two dollar tip so you're getting what twelve dollars for these wings and then, of course, I was being able to bring them downstairs as well because they didn't have any sort of busboys upstairs. So I was respecting the waitresses and, and or, you know, I guess the cocktail servers and the bartenders upstairs. I wasn't making a mess. Absolutely. I was able to hustle those nights because my tables at Kokomo Bay weren't making money. This was a bar. People weren't doing things. And um, what fun summers to work downtown in Philadelphia. And then here in Costa Rica, right before COVID, we opened up a 50s diner and you'll see pictures of it online. We just, once COVID hit, we, we shut it down. We literally bought all the equipment for it. Now, it how long in advance go. did you, um, before COVID hit, did you make the plans to actually open up the diner in uh, Costa Rica? Like we how were far? working on that. We finished our building in about 2018. Oh, wow. And okay. So, and so we were getting the, the permissions to do this. And I was looking for certain black and white tile and I had to get the red and white boots and the Ricola machine. And so, and that stuff takes a little bit of time. We just were, we were testing the market. Absolutely. And right before we launched is when COVID hit. So now it's just open, Tanya. It's just open to the agents that work here. And we'll probably do it in the next six months when things open up a little bit more, but. Oh, nice. Um, so you're definitely planning on continuing that project though. 100%. And this is what I did learn. As much as you think that cheese steaks and cheese fries and things like that can sell here, and they do, there is a certain local market for, let's say, the rice and beans, the gallo pinto, 
uh-huh. or the sort of empanadas that they do or some of the local dishes. Absolutely. So as much as I have my taste, it's very important for me to be able to cater towards uh, the clientele. But but we are near a hospital and universities, so I just don't want fast food. I want to ensure that we have uh, a salad bar section. We were thinking of doing um, other types of uh, wraps for them because not everybody wants fried and quick food, but they sure. want something fast. Uh, you have 15 minutes to eat. You have a half an hour to eat. You just do not have time. Absolutely. So I just want to make sure that my stuff is ready and at the go. So it sounds like you're kind of catering towards like the uh, lunch crowd, right? Kind of like almost, um, I want to say like not grab and go, but you know, uh, you have things to do. So constantly just get you in and out type of crowd, right? Is what it sounds like? My section of the town, yes, because I'm by three universities and a hospital. So let's just say late at night, it's not really where the bar crowd is. Yeah, absolutely. Breakfast time, sure. People that work at the hospital, why not? But just the call center and the university students is more than enough where if you have good food, have a good, here's the thing, here's the good thing. This restaurant is in my building, so I'm not paying rent. Uh, I own this space. Ah, That's genius. Exactly, I, I have the main dining room for the agents and this is a second dining room for the agents. If they wanted to eat there too, they, they could always be there, but I got tons of space. So imagine saving $3,000 a month minimum minimum on prime real estate space in Costa Rica. Oh, that's awesome. So, I didn't know you had it together. That That's actually really cool. Super convenient. Of course I do. There's no <laughs> way I'd be doing something like that. This is my own fantasy. I had to, you know, I had to create a restaurant. Absolutely. That's a that's true so, two for one. <laughs> is, uh, and by saving that sort of money means that I can be very competitive, if not the most competitive with the Absolutely. that I have. You kind of have that flexibility. And, and have the flexibility, absolutely. And it seems to work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, when you were deciding, because you said there was a process of trying to figure out you know, the market that you were catering to, how do you decide what food would work best for the area? Are you just kind of going around to uh, local restaurants? Like, How are you going about trying to figure that out as far as like your market and what they like? It's almost like a musician. I'm going to give you your commercial music that you want. So I will pump out your chips, your burgers, your fries, and your and your hot dogs and whatever else you want. But there's also a gourmet side to me that wants something very, very fresh so it sits in your stomach well for the rest of the day. Absolutely. Or at least it won't pass you out where, when you're when you're working. Um, and and so what we try to do is to make things once again with the fresh ingredients. Our our local markets here. Like I've, I've heard my friends tell me that if you get 30 eggs in the United States, it could cost between 12 and $15, depending on where you're buying that. I, I can get 30 eggs here for two bucks Jeez. and I can get the pressure. Oh, you have no idea what I can do. So what I'm capable of doing is going to these really good farmers market and I shop around. Absolutely. I can give abundance. I can, I can put more stuff on your salad than you know what to do with and still make a profit. So as long as I'm within this business model where it makes sense, we're going to make a huge amount of money. The moment where I got to start overcharging or just trying to make some money back, that's the moment they'll brown bag it and I will lose everybody. So I'm just fortunate for circumstance, Taney, for being here in Costa Rica with these sort of resources that we have. Absolutely. And and let me ask you this. What were you doing? I know you said you started, um, you finished the building in 2018. What were you doing uh, before the pandemic? Oh, I was always in the call center. Oh, okay. How long have you been doing the uh, call center for? Oof. I got down here in August of 2000 when I was 27 years old. A good friend of mine from college had a business and just wanted me to come down and do some training. And so 
I worked with him for four years. It was almost like my graduate school. I learned everything about the business. Absolutely. And then you weren't scared of like going to Costa Rica. That was your first time going there. I'm assuming, right? In 2000. That was yes, it was. And but was any I was fear in, or anything? No, not at all. And that's an excellent question, if I may. My junior year in college, I was fortunate enough to live in Spain. So oh. I just didn't do one semester. I did a year. Oh, and wow. not only did I do a year, I didn't come back during Christmas break. So I had two and a half months to travel as far as Prague to Corfu, Greece, to Amsterdam, oh, and wow. to Tangier, Morocco. Wow, so really imagine a kid back in, in, in 93, 94, that, that, that Christmas time, with a backpack, no cell phone, no computer, calling mom once a week. Absolutely. just disappearing. So um, that enabled me the confidence and the ability to realize I could be an expat. Absolutely. And then by mastering Spanish and moving to a Spanish-speaking country, once again, I was able to integrate more comfortably than some people that decide not to learn the language. Oh, yeah. I married a Costa Rican, and she and I started this business in 2008. So I've really headfirst dove into this culture. I've been embraced. Absolutely. I've seen the positive reinforcement from the friends that I've made, the business that I've built, and just... And Taney, just just living a happy life. Absolutely. Sometimes you need to be selfish. And sometimes you might disappoint people that love you the most. But if you're on a certain mission and your intentions are honorable with good faith, then I say full forward and full steam ahead. Absolutely. Because most people quit 80% in and... I guess I was crazy enough to go all the way just to see what happened. And look at us today. Things have worked out. Wow. <laughs> you know? That is impressive yeah. that you were able to do that. Um, like as far as, you know, like you said before, you worked at a couple different places. What are some of the skill yeah. sets that you've kind of seen that kind of translate and making that uh, call center business that you have happen? I've seen the greatest public relations specialists working at bars and restaurants, people that know people's names besides what they want to drink or what they want to eat. Absolutely. Knowing when to pick them up, ask the following question. They always say bartenders are your best friends and the best psychiatrists. So let's give kudos where kudos is. In my mind that people on and off the phone can control conflict management. There are certain sort of soft skills that people can use in order to reduce any sort of defense mechanisms. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of the times on the phone, Taney, people will use the word help. Absolutely. And that's okay, but it could create a rabbit hole. My, my suggestion is to pull out the thesaurus and find words, similes like assist, guide, lend a hand. Those are certain words where it's the same message, but a little bit of a different delivery. It's a little bit more diplomatic, and that can move uh, a conversation along. Uh, another example, if I may, sometimes people on staticky phone calls or when a bar is loud, instead of saying, excuse me, what did you say? Could you repeat that? Mm -hmm. It's better off to fall on that sword tainty and say, for my clarification, did you say rum or coke? Or did you say, <laughs> you know, gin and I should be writing this stuff down. This is amazing stuff right here. For um, my clarification. So you fall on some of those sorts. And my favorite thing that people do is positive escalation. Okay. When we're making phone calls and there is a gatekeeper before being transferred to somebody, ensure that when you are transferred to let that individual know how helpful, how professional, how amazing that individual was. Do it verbally. And then at the end, if you have to write something, 
do it written as well, because these escalations will show the sort of relationship you have prior to a contract or when you're complimenting the bartender to the owner of the restaurant, you don't think you're going to get extra cheese on your burger (laughs) (laughs) or when the bar is crowded and you do your thumbs up, he's walking right to you to give you your drink in front of your friend. So I'm not playing the game, but if I have an excellent relationship with a bartender or server or or, or hostess, a bouncer, and they do a great job, let the owner know. Absolutely. Let them know that they're representing your environment in the best light. Not so I can get an extra drink. I didn't say that. But it just makes happy. Because when you go back, you know that you know perfectly well they're going to put you in the front of the line and you're going to get your drinks. Or you're probably going to have the best experience. And the owner knows that you're going to be bringing more of your friends there, spending more money there, having a better time there. And so these are the sort of take an extra 30 seconds to ask a follow-up question. If you if you forget somebody's name, then speak in third person just to remind them of your name so then you can get their name. Oh, These are the sort really of matters and soft skills that we were raised with, Tani, by our parents and grandparents. And there's no reason why in the service industry, on or off the phone, that we can be this sort of educated, kind, compassionate, caring person. People go to these restaurants to escape and and to have a good time and to get away for a while and to recharge their batteries. That's a huge responsibility. It's not the $10 you spend. There are certain places where I love walking into because it almost feels like home and they know why I'm there without getting too much into it. I, I really believe that these restaurants and these individuals in this business have a much larger responsibility than what we think that they have. Some people don't have friends. Some people have been inside for so long that some of the first people they meet are through these restaurants. And and during COVID, you would hear about these business owners, and and I know they were discussing finances and what was happening but you really listen to the support that they had on their community and how people would go above and beyond and out of their way to support them. And hearing stories like that, it's really community oriented. You need to have your pizza place on Main Street to be part of your community. That's who you are and everybody knows you. And I was trying to do this here right before COVID hit to give them a real Philly cheesesteak. I was going to teach them cheese fries. I was going to do my dishes regardless of what's on the menu. I was going to have Richard's menu. And that was taken away from me. And I was really, really, really excited to walk the tables like people do and to hear about the food and to get the feedback and to give the dessert to the one guy because it's his birthday. (laughs) I I was going to have a whole tradition here. Um, But I will and I shall. And all of your videos gave me a lot of amazing suggestions on how to create a beautiful restaurant culture here in Costa Rica. Oh, man, that is awesome. And what's really cool is just hearing your passion as you speak about it. You can hear that you're genuinely passionate about doing it. So um, as far as opening that restaurant, I'm pretty excited. I might have to fly over just to have a cheesesteak over there. 
All right. Get extra whiz. Right. You ask for it correctly. You got to get whiz. Say provolone, then you're not from Philly. <laughs> Absolutely. The fact that you're doing calls, though, I never said it before. One of my first job was as a telemarketer. This was during college. And it okay. was brutal because it was, um, I'm not, I didn't ask, uh, is yours inbound or outbound or is it, um, well, I guess between the First two. First is I will never call you at dinner. If we do, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> uh, the second thing is we do half and half. I do inbound support and I do outbound lead generation and appointment setting. Okay. And I'm very selective, Tanya, of the verticals that come in here. Absolutely. We don't do sports books, casinos, stocks, pharmacies, or sweepstakes. Not like what you've seen in the movies. I, I have nothing against that. In fact, it's quite entertaining. But we're in a very strict Catholic country. Okay. So I have to ensure two things that I'm able to fulfill my clients' needs and the agents would feel very comfortable doing what they're doing. And so those are the two things that we would be focusing on. What what were you selling back in the day? What sort of oh, calls were you Oh, it was just brutal. Sorry, my camera's acting up there. Um, I had to sell on hold messages. So when a company gets a call in, um, you have, you know, someone speaking in the background. So that's what I had to sell, and I was terrible. I almost sold one in a month span, and then the person canceled last minute because it took me forever to get his credit card. So that's how bad I was at just online. I'm just doing it over the phone. But funny Jamie, enough, did they onboard you? Did they train you? Did no. they give you the proper resources and put you on a level playing field? Or did they just give you the script and say, good luck, champ? I was thrown to the wolves did? and I just got half the script. I didn't even get the full script. I got half of it. So I almost had to well, that's wing it the entire time. Oh, it was brutal. How do I expect you to be your best if I don't get you prepared for that? Richard, and I wish you were in that room with me. <laughs> back then i mean this is a long long time ago i wish you were there though because it would have been a lot that's easier okay, because <laughs> you had the courage to do it and i know that you tried at least you understand the industry there are ways to work around it and i also believe that if somebody has an excellent character and personality it makes the job a lot easier but that's it. I mean, there are other soft skills we can talk about, about making telemarketing calls. But I, I, I think that, once again, you're in a better head, in a better space right now. <laughs> Obviously, this is much more natural for you than, than trying to accept my credit card over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Asking for credit cards. Good for you. Ah, oh, it was brutal. You know what? What two tips would you give to someone that randomly just wants to get into that field? Like they've got their first job in their call center and you give them a word of advice, what would you tell them? Um, I, I think they need, fortune favors the brave. It's an mm. extremely competitive industry. There's a lot of attrition because there's competition and you're dealing with human labor where people can have burnout and they can have bad days. So it, it really, it's just about maintaining the motivation and the morale of the crew. I, I mean, that's a completely different conversation for another day. But the most important thing is you can see with me, I dress for the part. I know everybody's name. I walk the rows. My call center is a little different. If I may make a suggestion, I have the largest uh, retro arcade in Central America. So it's free play. So my people play pinball, Pac-Man, air I'm hockey. I'm sorry, you said largest retro arcade as far as like, uh, part of my ignorance, like is there, okay, I know an arcade, right? By retro arcade, are you talking like 90s type, 80s type? I'm Arcade talking games? 80s and 90s. I'm talking old, old, old school. Oh, like Tetris. You're playing pinball machines. You're oh, playing Pac-Man. 
Oh, you're okay. You're playing Mortal Kombat. You're playing Donkey Kong. And what? you're also doing air hockey. And how many of those machines do you have? racer machine, which is cool. Oh, yeah. So why do we do this? If you want to say getting into this space, well, when you get off a phone call and you're feeling negative, go downstairs and play some pinball, and then you, you, you can you know, recharge your batteries or let off some steam. Ah. Maybe you'll meet some people from other departments that you wouldn't have known. I've seen people fall in love by the Pac-Man machine. So <laughs> these are the sort of things that... <laughs> Haney, you could be in any vertical, but you know a teacher, coach, best friend, mentor, any sort of environment, any sort of business can be its, its optimal when you have the right leadership and you have the people underneath it, your foundation to sustain you. So unless you're planning on knowing people's names and walking the roads and being with your people, just write checks and don't bother doing it. Then your place <laughs> will be mediocre and you'll make your money. But if you really want to change people's lives, if you really want them when they leave your environment to be more self-reliant, to be more self-confident, to maybe say that I'm the only boss ever that knew their name, well, then I've done my job because success is built on one million thank yous. I, I have nothing more to prove. I've done very well for myself. The most important thing for me here is that I paid forward and that I can help as many people as possible in order to be able to build themselves into a certain character where they can stand tall. And then the second thing to be an owner of a call center, you need fidelity. You got to love this thing to do this thing. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of moving parts to it. You should enjoy writing. You should enjoy active listening, coaching. You should be into metrics and certain reporting. So you can see certain sort of KPIs, which are key performance indicators that from a 3000 foot level, you can gauge how lists are doing, how agents are doing, how the pace is doing. And so these are the sort of resources that even a small company that might not have a predictive dialer, server room or CTO, they can still manage their workforce or even manage their own phone calls by having certain structure and a certain sort of system to be able to I guess, reduce their talk time, increase their conversion ratios, increase their contact ratios. You mentioning having half script, completing a script, working on rebuttals. We have a section called quality assurance, which is QC, QA. Yeah. We analyze calls. I'm sure that happened to you too. I hope. Oh, uh, it was analyzed. It was brutal. Right when I was getting fired, we, uh, we went through it a little bit. <laughs> And that, my friend, in a nutshell, is why I have passion for this, because today is non-voice omni-channel support where you're putting in chats or emails and you're not speaking with anybody. So I see this as almost as like a lost art, like cursive writing. And so I want to make sure that, A, they write in cursive. Absolutely. <laughs> number two, that they become beautiful speakers, because I find it much more effective. There's lesser chance of miscommunication. When you get somebody on the phone, Taney, you give yourself a chance to retain the client, to get an upsell, and also potentially get a referral. If you're doing things purely by non-voice, you do not have any chance to really gauge the client's temperature or their potential. And so I think it's, it's limiting the sort of quality of service that you're giving people. And plus, you'll never get to know your clients. And to me, I like to thank each and every one of them personally, not through just an email. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, let me ask you this. Have you taken any speech course or anything? Because the way you articulate your words is really good. Even the pauses I'm catching and I'm like, wow, this is really good. Have you ever taken any Toastmasters or anything like that? No, but I can let you know some of my influences and okay. my experiences. If I could recommend three speakers that you should be watching would be Basil Rathbone back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. If you enjoyed the show Remington Steel with Pierce Brosnan or Dirk Benedict as Templeton Peck from the A-Team, yeah. I thought these people were excellent speakers. But when I was in college, I was an intern for Telemundo for two years. Mm. Jay Cohen was nice enough and generous enough to allow me to work with promotions and public relations. And during these years, I was able to meet, work with a little bit, Miguel Quitana, which was the top newscaster out of Los Angeles, their largest market. No and there was a gentleman by the name of Pedro Sefsek that was doing the talk shows in the 90s. I was across from Christina from Univision. And they would come out to Tucson all the time to work events. And since I was with Telemundo, I would go with them on the promotions and public relations events. And, and these were real players. These were guys that were adored in their environment. So to answer your question, they prepared me, gave me advice and molded me. So when I was 21 years old, I was sent out to do a Havelina Cantina chili eating contest at a Tucson Toros baseball game. <laughs> That's and, awesome. and in front of 5,000 people I'm speaking. And, and for them to give me that sort of confidence at such a young age, I can't thank them enough. So, so my good friend, that was some incredible wind in my sails that gave me such positive reinforcement and encouragement to continue studying languages and, and putting myself out there, yes. Absolutely. You know what, Richard, I've got two more questions for you today. Before I ask the cool. last one though, I gotta ask, cause you did focus a lot on development and making sure you train people. Do you have a particular story that sticks out as far as someone you've developed and seen them grow, um, I guess, in your company? I actually have. A lot of the times people have hedging when they speak. They'll say, um, ah, uh, okay, when they're giving answers or taking things down. it's. I've had my agents lose calls that way. And so my opinion is to use a buffer boomerang technique where if somebody asks you a question in a negative tone, you make sure just to capture it, say, that's an excellent question, Taney. The name of my company is, and boomerang <laughs> it right back with a plus two answer. Ah, a a buffer boomerang one. where it comes in kind of <laughs> like a, you know. Like right back out, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so a lot of the times you need to readjust the tone of a conversation into a positive tone. So instead of getting hung up on, these individuals can say, Tani, that's an excellent question. Yes, the reason for my call today is I'd like to share an idea with you. And they can do it over and over and over again. Is it a negative one, negative two, or a negative three buffer boomerang? Absolutely. And so once I can give them certain sort of techniques to reduce any sort of friction, they can then focus on other areas of the call, which is uh, tie down and confirmation questions, if things make sense or sounds good, right? Absolutely. Sometimes they can rake a question by saying, I'm sure you like at least one, like as a menu. Yeah. And then finally by saying, since you have me on the phone right now, are there any final questions that you have? Oh. Also, if I may make another suggestion for you, yeah. I think if people need to spell things back, they should do it in military alphabet. 
A, because it sounds the best. A lot of the times people are serving in the military. So it gives you a chance to connect with them. And also a me too technique. Since we're calling people at home, you might hear a dog in the background or a loud child. And so inadvertently and passive aggressively, I can let you know, Teeny, how much I love your dog. And not being a jerk about it, I'm gonna ask you, <laughs> what's the dog's name? Because Fluffy's cute, but really, really loud. And so obviously I'm making a hint to put Fluffy away and then we're cool again. And so these are the sort of things where I'm not compromising any sort of ethics, values, or morals. This is not boiler room time. I'm not going to teach you to lie on the phone. I'm not saying they do, but I'm not going to. I'm going to use specific diplomatic soft skills in order to move conversations forward to let you know I'm active listening. Absolutely. I'm not being slick. I'm being clever. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what we're doing here. Uh, I totally like Rich. I'm going to throw in one more question. I know I said one more. Yeah. When does your book come out? Because you need to write a book. I mean, half of the stuff that I just learned right now is it's not even just, you know, good advice, but it's practical advice I could actually use in a random conversation. So I find that interesting. Do you have any plans to write a book? I'd like to one day, but I think the first book I'm going to write would be a children's book. Because I am a child <laughs> and, I, and I can, I, I love the scientists say that one of the best ways to communicate with people is through play. And so if I can connect with people at, let's say a 10 to a 12 year old level where it's not fantasy, but it's not reality, but a little bit of both Absolutely. where we can use our imagination, we can smile, we can have some candy and have a good time, then it works. Because having a pinball in a professional environment, some people say that's not correct. Well, do it your way. This is my company. Mm. I'd like to have the sweet and the sour. The sour is going upstairs making phone calls if you have to. <laughs> but the sweet side is that you have an environment that's beautiful and fun. But in regards to the book, my friend, today we're just here to share ideas. I, I can't, Tani, I can't thank you enough for having me on the In The Biz podcast. I, I love your episodes. Here's the thing. First, I love the artwork. That's number one. So that caught my attention. <laughs> then I started listening to some episodes. They were so good. I could sit through the entire thing. And then not only that, but you inspired me enough to reach out to you. Oh, and so this is where we are today, man. We, we're good friends. You're going to come visit me one day in Costa Rica when I'm up in Florida. 100%. We're definitely hanging out. And this is definitely not the last time you and I are, are, are getting on a podcast. Oh, no. I already see the request coming in. You're definitely going to be back over here. <laughs> now, yeah. Richard, before I ask my last question over here, where can everybody yes. find you or anything about you if they want to connect with you on social media or anything? Well, I do appreciate you, you giving me the opportunity. First is to buy a first-class plane ticket and come fly down and visit me. Absolutely. <laughs> you can see me. But, but if, you, if you'd like to call me and go over a script or something, uh, 888-271-6750, you could shoot me an email, CEO at Costa Rica's call com. But here's something interesting, and wait till I put your stuff there. I have a very large Facebook fan page, about 97,000 Ticos at the moment that are there. Nice. If you're interested in seeing the pulse of the Costa Rican call center industry and other fun things that are happening in this country, Absolutely. definitely check it out, join it. But uh, you're going to be the, getting 97,000 Costa Rica's call center. Costa Rica call center. <laughs> hey, everybody I'm check it out too. Absolutely. People said, how did you figure out the name? Well, 
think about it like this. Why make it fancy dancy? Costa Rica's with an apostrophe call center. There you go. That's genius, actually. Marketing 101, too. I like that. All right. My final question to you is, in five years, where do you see yourself and what impact would you like to try to make on the world? In five years from now, I'd like to see myself as retired. That's number one. That's good. All right. But as I said before, I'd like to pick up the violin where I left off. I'd like to finish my children's books. I'd like to see my family more. You and I will be talking about 10 times we hung out and had great times together. Absolutely. I think I want to carpe diem my life. I, I, I think I want to, as Steve McQueen told Faye Dunaway in the original Thomas Crown Affair, I want to wake up every day and just figure out who I want to be. I want every day to be a Saturday. I like that. And and if it's just coming on to podcast or having a coffee with somebody or just taking a walk. But this is the one thing I'm definitely going to be doing five years from now. I'm definitely going to be still hitting the gym every day. That's nice. number one. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do that. And I'm definitely going to be driving a convertible car. So I, that's my thing, too. You know, I'm playing pinball. That's another thing I'm going to be doing. So don't think I'm going to be changing. I'm just going to be doing more of it. Ah, (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Richard, it has been a pleasure. Like we said, we definitely have to have you back on this because you are absolutely awesome. We appreciate you. Great time today. (laughs) Hey, everybody, definitely connect with Richard. It's been in the biz.